Well, open your Bibles with me once again this morning uh, to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. We have just a couple more weeks in our study of this letter of the Apostle Paul. Uh, If you're visiting with us or watching for the first time, uh, we welcome you uh, to this study of Galatians that we've been in now for uh, a few months anyway. I don't know exactly how many weeks I haven't uh, counted Uh, This is what we do here at Ascension is work our way through books of the Bible uh, to hear from the Lord. And uh, the book of Galatians has been a letter that has sought to defend the heart of the gospel, right? That's been Paul's concern for the young first century churches of Galatia. And what is the heart of the gospel? That we are made right with God by faith alone not through our obedience to the law. So as the letter is drawing to a close, Paul has moved on from that more propositional truth to now wrestling with what the gospel is doing or ought to do in our lives as those who affirm Christ alone, faith alone, What walking by the Spirit, what being led by the Spirit looks like. And so last week, those of you who are here, those of you who are watching, remember that we spoke of the death, the crucifixion of our old vices and a blossoming of the fruit of the Spirit that comes from a life that is intimately connected to the vine, the vine that is Jesus Himself. And so today's passage, as we pick up where we left off last week, today's passage continues in that same vein, and it all boils down to one word, love, love, especially love for those that you see, meaning those within the body of Christ, those fellow believers It's a love that ought to flow from our union with Christ and the life of the Spirit that is given to each believer. You see, love is is the number one evidence of a Spirit-filled life. And so that's where we want to set our hearts. That's where Paul sets our hearts. That's where I pray the Holy Spirit sets our hearts this morning. Galatians chapter 5, we're actually going to... Read the last two verses of chapter 5. We read those verses last week, but there's just a slight overlap to keep the continuity. Galatians chapter 5, starting at the very end, verse 26, and reading through verse 5 of chapter 6. As is our tradition, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Listen as I read. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to be, the re, his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. As we work through this short passage this morning, I want to set our hearts on three realities of a Spirit-filled love, right? That's the context we're in. Walk by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Three realities of a Spirit-filled love. And the first one is this. Spirit-filled love begins with a gospel self-image. Spirit-filled love begins with a gospel self-image. We've talked about this before in in other contexts. This, This age that we live in today, the age of the selfie as it's called, the age of the individual. Of course, Individuals made in the image of God are to be treasured, right? But the age of the individual is not a good thing. Brothers and sisters, the cultural air that we breathe these days is not healthy. It's, it's toxic. What kind of phrases do we constantly hear? Self-help. Self-love. Self-esteem. Self-expression, self-truth, self-righteousness, self, self, self. And yet the Bible, the Bible calls us to a different focus, to a different ethic. Love others before yourself. Love others as you would yourself. Love others, even dying to self. That is a gospel self-image because that is the way Jesus lived and that is the way Jesus calls His followers to live. And so Paul, here in Galatians 5 and into chapter 6, begins to unpack for us what that gospel ethic looks like. And he doesn't say everything that could be said. Of course not. But he he says enough, plenty for us to meditate on this morning. And it actually begins in verse 26 of chapter 5, which is why we took a step back to where we ended last week. It's here that we are reminded, if you still have your Bibles open, you can see it there with me. It's here in verse 26 that we are reminded that our opinion of ourselves will determine how we treat those around us. You see, if we are full of ourselves, Paul says in verse 26, let us not be conceited. If we are full of ourselves, we will either provoke or envy. Because our natural hearts don't want rivalry. 
And so we will either vie for superiority in relationships or we will wallow in inferiority in relationships. Let me show you what I mean. Let us not become conceited, he says, provoking one another. The word that Paul uses here that's translated in the ESV, what I just read, as provoke, means to challenge someone in a contest. In other words, it's the idea of, I'm better than you, and I want to show you, I want to prove to you, to myself, and to those around us that I am better than you. That's not love. That's not spirit-filled love. That's not a gospel self-image. Why is it not? Because grace, grace has changed everything. You see, grace has taught you and I that we are no better than anyone else. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. Yes, but that's not because of our smarts or because of our hearts. Paul will tell the Ephesian church in Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved. Familiar passage. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. He'll tell the Romans in Romans 3, then what comes of boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by the law of faith. And so Paul says to the Galatians in verse 3 of chapter 6, you think you're something, huh? You think you're something, but you're, you're nothing. Don't you dare boast. Now don't get me wrong. Paul is not talking about the inherent value of human life, nor is he talking about God's attitude towards his children. He is hammering home the point that left to ourselves, we are, as John Newton, the great hymn writer, wrote, we are wretches that are in desperate need of saving. We have no standing without Jesus. We have no righteousness without His. We have no life without His. And that's true of all of us. And so in contrast to the religious person, to the one who is driven by the works of the law, these false teachers in Galatia, for instance, they're driven to say, looky here, look what I have done. Look at the ways that I'm better than you. And yet Paul is driven to say he is the least of God's people. He is the chief of sinners. You see, spirit-filled love begins with a gospel self-image. Not one that needlessly beats yourself up. Not one that doesn't recognize the treasure that you are in Christ to God the Father. But one that certainly knows that it is no better than those around us. And it's for this reason, brothers and sisters, that the church, the community of believers, ought to be the safest, most gracious place on the planet. question is, is it? Are we? 
But wait a second, if the gospel is really about not boasting, then why does Paul say in verse 4 of chapter 6, this reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor? Why does Paul bring up boasting? Well, he's actually reinforcing his point. Let me read verse 4 to you again in a a different translation, just so you can hear it a little different. This is from the New Living Translation. It reads verse 4, or translates verse 4 like this. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. You see, a gospel self-image, a proper gospel self-image, in addition to to humbling ourselves at the the level foot of the cross, a gospel self-image keeps our eyes and our comparisons off of each other. That's why Paul brings up back in verse 26, envying one another. Right? We already talked about provoking, envying one another. He, he says in chapter 5, verse 26, envy says, I resent you, brother or sister, because you are better than me in some way. And so no, it's not challenging you to prove that I'm better. It's not provoking. It's acknowledging that I'm not better. And that just makes me mad. That makes me frustrated. It makes me wallow. And Paul says, no, a spirit-filled life, a gospel-fueled life, recognizes that everyone has their own story, that everyone has their own strengths, that everyone has their own weaknesses, that we are all called to be faithful with what the Lord has given us. And so instead of worrying so much about your brother's or your sister's accomplishments, focus on yourself. And Paul gives us an example of, of what he means by this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. He says, For I am the least of all the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of Jesus. Right? Okay, so there's a gospel self-image. He knows he's no better. He's humble. But then he continues, But by the grace of God... I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Do you see it? A proper gospel self-image knows its place and yet tests its own work. So a spirit-filled love begins with a gospel self-image. So where do we go from there? Well, with ourselves straight, (laughs) with ourselves properly understood, then we can focus rightly on others. And that's the second reality, and it's this. Spirit-filled love bears the burdens of others. Spirit-filled love bears the burdens 
of others. You may have heard the phrase, he's not heavy, he's my brother. It was a song from the 60s, the late 60s, but it was also um, something that was written in a 19th century book by a Scottish pastor speaking of a little girl who was struggling to carry this little boy and he asked her about it and that was her response. He's not heavy, he's my brother. You see, we all have our own pack, our own baggage to carry. The Greek word there in, in verse 5 that ends our passage where he says, for each will have his own load. That refers to kind of a day pack. Paul uses a different word, a different Greek word in verse 2. In verse 2 where he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That word for burdens is much more substantial, has more weight. Reminds us, Paul's exhortation, that I'm not just responsible for me. Yes, I've got to test my own work. I've got to have a gospel self-image, but life in the Spirit is by definition communal. And so Martin Luther, the great reformer, once wrote, Christians must have strong shoulders and mighty bones. Not simply to carry their own load, but some of the load of others as well. As I thought about this brief command in verse 2 of chapter 6, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I think it takes three things to do this well. And the first is this, intentionality. It takes intentionality. How are you going to know the burdens of others? <laughs> You've got to press into them. Whether those burdens be grief, anxiety, past wounds, questions of faith, depression, some kind of physical illness, some kind of relational dysfunction, some kind of financial strain, those things are not going to surface in our lives if we're content to remain on the surface with one another. And you're only going to get deeper with intentionality, with truly living life together. Now, don't get me wrong. We are not in this room or online, you who are watching, we are not equally called to bear one another's loads equally, right? There is such a thing as spiritual friendship. There is such a thing as relational connection and, and relational equity, but even with those few people that God has knit us together with in this community, are we being intentional to bear the loads of one another? That's the first thing. It requires intentionality, a spirit-filled love that bears the burdens of others. It also requires sacrifice. I mean, what does bearing one another's burdens look like? I mean, the image is, is, is edging your way under a weight that someone else is carrying to, to let some of that weight slide onto you. And this hurts. 
It costs. It always costs. Whatever the bearing looks like, whether it's prayer, whether it's a hug, whether it's a listening ear, whether it's time, whether it's your tears, whether it's your money, whether it's your messed up plans, whether it's going without. Any way you look at it, there's some level of pain. There's some level of suffering in bearing one another's burdens. Jonathan Edwards, the 18th century American preacher and theologian, wrote this, in many cases we may, by the rules of the gospel, be obliged to give to others when we cannot do it without suffering ourselves. Else, how is that rule of bearing one another's burdens fulfilled? In other words, he's saying that our excuses for not bearing the burdens of others, I don't have the time, I can't afford to, whatever they may be, are just saying, really, in essence, I can't do this without suffering myself. And therefore, I don't want to do this. But that's the whole point. (laughs) is that Jesus suffered, and so can we. So are we called to. Paul uses a phrase here in verse 2 that he only uses here, the law of Christ. In a letter that argues that the law isn't necessary salvation for salvation, he's making the point of saying that a Spirit-filled life is one that embodies the love of Christ. His commands, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. His life, John 15, 10, if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. And so bearing one another's burdens to some degree involves some level of suffering. That's the way it is. And the last thing that's required is vulnerability. Intentionality, sacrifice, and vulnerability. Simply put, you know as well as I do that no one wants to be the squeaky wheel. Every one of us wants to be the capable one. I remember this super humbling story of almost 11, just just short of 11 years ago when we moved up here from Washington and We were leaving a church in in San Diego that we were well connected to, well knit together with. We had been there for 11 years, but I felt some, they didn't kick me out of that church. I willingly left that church and they didn't want me to leave that church. And so I felt some level of of guilt about walking out of town and, and walking away from that church. And so I said, well, when we load our moving truck, we'll just do it ourselves. I'll just hire a couple college guys and we'll just do it ourselves rather than tapping into this robust church community. And these college guys showed up and they were total duds. Did not know what they were doing. And I called my brother. I called my brother Gary and I said, Gary, I got to load this container. And I didn't want to get you involved but I need you. And within an hour, I had 15 guys at my door loading this truck so that I could leave them, 
so that I could go out of town. That was hard to do. That was humbling to do. But boy, am I glad I did it. Bearing one another's burdens takes vulnerability. It takes courage. It takes take courage to put yourself out there. People are not going to put themselves out there if we're not a community of grace. So there's responsibility on both sides. Spirit-filled love bears one another's burdens. Well, that brings us to our last reality this morning. Spirit-filled love keeps one another. A spirit-filled love keeps one another. Let's jump now back to verse 1, the verse that we have skipped in this whole sermon, this whole exposition. Many of you remember the story from Genesis chapter 4, where out of envy and anger, Cain killed his brother Abel. And when the Lord came to Cain and asked where his brother was, wanting to absolve himself from all responsibility. What did he say to Yahweh? Am I my brother's keeper? Paul seems to say in this passage that in some sense, yes, you are your brother's or sister's keeper. Not in the sense that you are culpable for everything that all of you do. No, we are each responsible for our own actions. Nor are you their keeper in everything. Right? Some of us would love uh, to make a hundred little mini-me's of ourselves. Right? Pointing out all of our shortcomings, crafting our brothers and sisters in our image so that they think and look just like us. That's not what Paul is calling us to. Spirit-filled love doesn't go there. Spirit-filled love covers a multitude of falling short. 1 Peter 4.8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. You see, Paul doesn't give us a blank check, but some specific parameters of what it means to keep one another. And note that this isn't, this isn't a common occurrence in the church. This is not like a weekly thing or a monthly thing. What's the situation? Someone is caught in sin, now what? Verse 1. It's interesting that Paul is more concerned about the manner and the spirit than he is about the method. But Paul gives us in verse 1 the what, the who, and the how. Let's quickly fly through them. The what. Someone's caught in sin, now what? Well, the word is restore. Literally, Put back in order. The word is used in Mark chapter 1 to describe the mending of fishing nets. It's used in the Greek word world as a medical term to describe the setting of a broken bone. In other words, the picture that Paul gives here is that the sinner is to be restored. As one of my seminary professors once said, it's not isolation or amputation but restoration. 
That's what's being called for here. Not isolation or amputation, but restoration. And so when a brother or sister is caught in sin, this is not turning a blind eye. This is not gossiping about them. Can you believe what so-and-so did? This is not abandoning them. This is not shaming them. This is not punitively punishing them. But rather, as Jesus instructs in Matthew 18, this is going to them face-to-face confronting them in love, and then if they don't listen, bringing another one along. Now you, you know as well as I do that this is hard to do. This hurts. Proverbs 27.6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I know that some of you have been on both ends of this. You have been those who have inflicted upon a friend, and sometimes that has not gone well. You have been one who has received from a friend. And that's been hard. And that brings us to the who. Who does Paul say needs to do this? It doesn't say Nate. (laughs) At least not Pastor Nate. It doesn't say it's the pastors and the elders. No, it's, it's you. It's the body of Christ. It's you who are spiritual, Paul says. Not you who are sinless. Not you who are perfect. But you who have the Spirit of Christ growing and bearing fruit in your lives. You don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be, according to Paul in verse 1, you do have to be gentle. And that brings us to the how. We're about to study this great book, Gentle and Lowly, about the heart of Christ, right? That's how he describes himself in Matthew chapter 11. And that's the picture he gives us in one of my favorite pictures of Jesus in the gospel in John 8, when the woman is caught in adultery and she's half clothed and man, they're riled up. They've got her and they bring her to Jesus and they say, what are we going to do with her? What does Jesus do? He bends down and he starts writing in the sand. He takes all of their focus off of this woman, shamed and standing before them, and and, and they're confused and they're looking down at his finger. What in the world is he doing? Jesus then in turn turns it on their hearts, their hearts of pride. With gentleness, you are called to keep your brother or your sister. Paul gives a warning in this. He says we must be careful, end of verse 1, lest you too be tempted. See, sometimes we hear about people's sins and We say in our minds, well, I didn't know you struggled with that. If, if you're in waist deep, maybe I can dip my toe into that. And the devil who is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, he, devour, he, he, he gets in there and he gets a foothold in our lives. And so Paul says, be careful. Be careful when you wade in those waters. But a spirit-filled life is called to keep one another. I'm a child of the late 80s and early 90s. 
A lot of Michael Card, Keith Green. Might have heard a little Keith Green in the confession this morning for those of you who have your ears tuned to that. And Rich Mullins. There's a song by Rich Mullins years ago called Brother's Keeper. I just want to read the first verse and the chorus. He says, Now the plumber's got a drip in his spigot. The mechanic's got a clank in his car. And the preacher's thinking thoughts that are wicked. And the lover's got a lonely heart. My friends ain't the way I wish they were. They just are the way they are. But I will be my brother's keeper. Not the one who judges him. I won't despise him for his weakness. I won't regard him for his strength. I won't take away his freedom. I'll help him learn to stand. And I will be my brother's keeper. Love that. Brothers and sisters, this is challenging stuff. This is impossible stuff. Were it not for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the spirit of the risen Christ that lives in each of us. But this is part of what it means to be the church. What Paul is saying here. Grounded in and fueled by the sacrifice of Jesus, filled by His Spirit, you and I can love like this. May God make it so. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for these challenging words from Your Word. Father, we confess our our lack of love, our lack of compassion, our lack of gentleness. Our tendency to be quick to rebuke, quick to stand far off. Father, may we increasingly be, by the power of your gospel, transforming the way we look about the way we look at ourselves and the way we look at others. May we be transformed increasingly into a community of grace that bears one another's burdens, that keeps one another in love, and that so glorifies Your great name and shows the world around us what the Gospel is all about. Father, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.